This is a KTF Press podcast. I think it's a radical thing that Jesus does when he says, come and follow me. And someone says, you know, I, I just got, I just bought this field and I got to go look at it. And he's like, okay. He doesn't try to woo them. He doesn't try to win them back. He says, okay. In, uh, are there something in us that must be secure enough to let people be? Welcome to Shake the Dust, leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God. I'm Jonathan Walton. And I'm Cy Hoekstra. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's just Jonathan and I today. Jonathan, it's been a while. Actually, I looked at this. It's been a year since you and I did an episode, just you and I. That's a long time. It's a long time, but I like this format. And I hope listeners do too, because this is how we do the bonus episodes, which are coming back, by the way, uh, at the end of the season. Okay, today we're going to be talking about unprepared pastors, pastors who are unprepared to pastor you, uh, <laughs> and we'll get we'll get there in a second. But the, the reason we're talking about this is because it intersects with a ton of the topics that we talk about with colonized faith, a lot of the idols, um, money and power and uh, uh, security and the repression of emotions in favor of conformity. All these things are kind of wrapped up into um, this topic that's sort of the went a little bit Christian viral recently because of uh, an article from a pastor in Illinois explaining why he was quitting the pastorate and why so many other pastors are quitting according to, or wanting to quit according to polling. So we'll get into that in a second. We have a couple of announcements. They're a little bit different than the regular announcements. So listen up. (laughs) Quick reminder, send in questions to us. We're going to do our season finale mailbag is our next episode in two weeks. So send in your questions about anything you've heard this season or previous seasons, anything you've read in the newsletter, send your questions in via email, or you can send us a, a voicemail as an attachment to your email as well to shake the dust at ktfpress.com. That's shake the dust at ktfpress.com. Uh, really, I give you that as like just having one specific way to ask us questions, but anyway, you have to get in contact with us, social media or our email, personal email, whatever, it doesn't matter. Ask us questions anyways you can, but shake the dust at ktfpress.com. Uh, I am going to be at the Evolving Faith Conference, me and Gabrielle, uh, my wife, who's been in a couple of these uh, episodes, to me, Spencer Helms, the author of our most recent book, come and say hi. If you're going to be there in Minneapolis in a couple of weeks, uh, we have a booth where we'll be selling our books. We'll have some some free swag. We'll have a deep discount on our <laughs> uh, Substack subscription. So come uh, check us out there and say hi. We would love to meet you in person. And we're changing some things up on our website and our social media. Go check them out. Uh, Continue to look at them as the weeks go by. We're going to have some new content and just everything has a new look. We have a new logo, uh, a new new art for this podcast, uh, all kinds of things. Robin Burgess uh, helped us out with that and and will continue to help us out with that. And we're really appreciative uh, of that. She's doing some great work. So yeah, go check out the website. And while you're on the website, please consider becoming a paid subscriber to KTF. That's the best way to support what we do, centering and elevating marginalized voices to help people leave colonized faith for the kingdom of God. That gets you the newsletter we send every week with media to help you in your discipleship and political education. And it gets you the bonus episodes of this show, which we will do once again after this season is over. Okay, so let's jump into it. There's this um, 
this pastor in Illinois, I'm going to summarize what he, he wrote in his article, uh, just for the people who didn't read it. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, by the way, we're going to be largely disagreeing with what this man said in a lot of ways. And we don't mean to uh, uh, demean him or any other pastor that is feeling these things. We just think it's really important um, to talk about, especially because there are just so many people who are looking at the world around them and what's coming from the fronts of their churches and kind of struggling to figure out how Jesus fits into all of it and they're trying to figure out what the disconnect is. So anyways, here, here's my brief summary of what the pastor said in his article. He, he basically said there are kind of five main reasons in Barna polling that pastors are, are considering quitting their jobs, at least in the U.S. And uh, it's about half of pastors who are considering quitting their jobs. It was even higher than that at the height of the pandemic. But mm-hmm. the two that he said he really resonates with are the top two reasons, the stress of the job and how isolating the job is. And then the next three reasons are divisions over politics in the church, unhappiness about the effect that the job is having on the family of the pastor, and then just not being optimistic about the future of the congregation um, that the pastor is overseeing. So he basically said, look, the experience of being a pastor is not what you think it's going to be. It's, you know, you, you might have understood how difficult it can be, but like feeling it is kind of different. And he kind of said, you know, the, there's this mental and emotional reality of just being enmeshed in so many people's lives and like having to deal with all the difficulty of, you know, in his case, a few hundred people's lives just really gets you down. And he said, basically, all those people are also kind of your bosses, <laughs> meaning if you don't do if you do a job they don't like, if you do your job in a way they don't like, um, they're going to make your life really hard. He actually had some people kind of campaigning for his removal in his congregation. And he basically said, well, if this is you know what I'm going to get out of all the work I'm putting into this, then is it really worth it? And then he said, you know, you have to do at least three years of of graduate studies, then you have to do a bunch of internships, then you have loans to repay. And if you're in his denomination, you're making about $55,000 when you come out uh, of all that training. And that's not enough to live off of, let alone pay your student loans. Uh, And then he said, you have a huge range of responsibilities that, you know, in any other organization would not be one person doing all these things, like being the public speaker, being the keeper of the orthodoxy, being the CEO, the HR director, a counselor for a ton of people. And then just like a pillar of virtue, moral blamelessness within your community. Um, and then he said, most Christians kind of want to be reassured that they are, they, they're going to church to be reassured that they are doing and believing the right things and not really going to be challenged to grow. Uh, and he's just someone who he, he said, he's just kind of fundamentally in his faith growth oriented and, and like, actually welcomes, you know, change and difference. And his congregation wasn't into that. And so he constantly ran up against uh, that wall. So that's, I gave that, I said that as in as neutral a way as I could. Because <laughs> now, now we're going to bring in our opinions. <laughs> um, Jonathan, you and I had pretty differing reactions to, to this. So just talk about what your kind of initial thoughts were when you looked at this. Yeah. Uh, so when I when I first read this message, uh, and just to like locate this person, so this is a <laughs> white male suburbs of Chicago congregation of about three hundred people, educated, well connected, stable in his position. The congregation is larger than three hundred, but he he, oh, said right. he was like personally involved yes, in probably yes. three hundred people's lives. <laughs> yes, he he named that as a very specific burden of yeah. being involved in the 
births, deaths, funerals, weddings, just the most intimate parts of people's lives for 300 yeah. people. That was, that was too much. Um, and so um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to dismiss this person's feelings, the, the, the suffering and the hardship that he's going through. Um, at the same time, um, when I was growing up, I didn't know any professional Christians. Like no one would received a salary for being a pastor. And all of the things that he was frustrated by, confused about, seeming to blame the congregation for the predicament that he found himself in, um, like all of those things to me seem like this is just the expectations of a pastor. Um, someone who is, is supposed to be a reasonably good presenter and preacher of the word is supposed to be someone who's able to articulate their faith in word and deed and power. It seemed to be to me that there must have been a problem in how he was set up um, and put in this position and what his expectations were, but none of that um, was named um, in the in the owning of his own expectations, particularly for me as I come from a background where every single pastor or leader in a church was bivocational. So my yep. pastor growing up was my bus driver to elementary school. Mm -hmm. uh, like I saw him at six days out of the week, some yeah. days all seven, because yeah. we would go to church meeting on Saturday morning yeah. and I'd see him preach on Sunday morning and then he would pick my behind up on that dirt road. Bus every day. <laughs> so I think, I think there are two things that bothered me the most. And they were that he seemed exceptionally unaware of the impact of what he was going to say um, and it, and um, radically dismissive of the, the privileges that he, uh, that he holds um, particularly the reality that someone actually commented that his salary is above the median salary of his congregation. And so to be aware of the reality, that the things that you are complaining about, other people would actually would would love to be involved in like to actually to have a salary to have resources to be intimately involved in people's lives there are pastors and lay leaders all over the world that would actually say yes and amen to everything that was on his plate can you tell me what the you said what he was unaware of the impact of what he was going to say what's the impact that you're thinking of yeah. So the impact that I'm thinking of is that like when we communicate publicly about our faith, I think we have to consider the most vulnerable and marginalized person as the priority reader. And so you, I may think to myself, you know what? I don't care who reads this, um, but I don't think that is me loving my neighbor. So I have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus, as somebody with leader, of leadership and influence to shepherd the folks that are downstream of me. I do understand how someone in his position, a white male at a suburban church in the Presbyterian, like I, I totally understand it, like logically. Yeah. But what I don't understand is as a person called by God to serve and love the flock that he has been given, to say those things about his pastorship, disregarding how that's going to impact the most marginalized in his congregation and those who might see it boggles my mind. Like, I, I don't understand how we arrived at a point where you could feel those things, yes. But then, to me, what feels like accusing the congregation and the elders and the leaders for not taking care of him, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So, he, here's, um, I think this is where we, we 
differ, not because I think you're wrong. It's just not my reaction because I did grow up with professional Christians. <laughs> <And> <laughs> nothing but professional Christians, in fact. Right. And uh, oh, that's not true. There were lots of volunteers at the church, but you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I'm just used to pastors in positions like his who um, really feel like a deer in headlights when mm. difficulties come their way. <laughs> like that's that's like standard to me. I mean, there there are some places where you know some congregants come uh, against a pastor and try and get rid of them and the pastor gets really, you know, combative or whatever, but like, that's just, those weren't the churches I grew up in. So, so because of that, my reaction was, yeah, it seems like this guy's giving a pretty good summary of the challenges of being a pastor. And he has figured out that because of those challenges, this job isn't for him. And so he's leaving and that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, t- I totally understand and, and agree with your critique it's just that was my initial reaction I was right, like right. yeah good right this job is not for you you should do something else <laughs> um, <laughs> and the specific way that I think he seemed kind of like unprepared or confused about like where his kind of he talked about his congregation being his bosses he kind of contrasted like you know he said you know some people would think that the pastor's boss is like the board of the church or whoever can literally fire you but you have all these people you have to keep happy so they're kind of your bosses and like at no point did he talk about you know god is my boss (laughs) like like i'm at all concerned in this in this role as a pastorate with you know, whether I'm being faithful to God and like that would be kind of the set like my measurement of success or my measurement of like what makes this, you know, a job well done. Um, right. And it, he, it, it, so it just came off as, I guess this is similar to the privilege point, but it kind of just came off as some, as, as like just, I really hadn't counted the cost, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. of what it, mm-hmm. of what it kind of takes to follow Jesus. And, and, and to me, like, I, it really did strike like you're, you're someone who is trying to lead people in following a man who was crucified for doing what he did. And so were a bunch of his followers and there was like a ton of suffering and marginalization. And it's just, it's always so interesting to me that white people in America constantly talk about being persecuted, be, right. but, but like when it comes to it's something difficult actually happening to you, you're like, I'm out and you can just walk away, you know? And I, mm-hmm. and I, you're trying to lead people to follow Jesus and there's all this stuff that happened to Jesus and all of Jesus' followers. And I, I think that a lot of us white people kind of look at that and go, that can never and should never happen to me. Mm-hmm. Like I shouldn't, that you know, the, the consequences of following Jesus, that shouldn't happen to me. And like me personally, Sai Hoekstra, nothing remotely that difficult has ever happened to me <laughs> mm-hmm. because of because of me being a Christian. So like you can take whatever I'm saying with as many grains of salt as you'd like. But I don't know that that just seems kind of fundamentally contradictory to me if you're trying to lead people in the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that engagement with God and intimacy with the Father and prayer and discernment and all of those things was completely absent from the piece. Yeah, there wasn't a lot about <laughs> there was I don't think anything about that. Right. So when you're talking about counting the cost, examining the role of suffering in our faith, and then putting our suffering in perspective with those who are downstream and upstream of our, us in our faith, and like all of that stuff like that, it just wasn't there. Yeah. And so that to me, I think that distance gets into 
you know, the bigger picture of what I think we're going to talk about next is just like what what happens when our faith moves from being a community uh, rooted in following, like you said, this Jesus with dirty feet to like <laughs> a CEO of mm. a spiritual superstore. Yeah. So let, let's get into that. Let's get into some of the, some of the, the pitfalls how we end up in in this place? What are some of the pitfalls that churches and congregations and structures um, are creating for pastors to kind of end up in this situation? Yeah, I think like one of the things that became super clear to me, like in looking at Jerry Falwell and like writing and thinking about, you know, in our anthology, we're reflecting on Trumpism and all of that. When you when you say looking at Jerry Falwell, you did a master's thesis about Jerry Falwell. <laughs> yeah, and so like the very clear like contrast between what he is was starting in the fifties and sixties versus what we talked about um, a few episodes ago with um, Doctor Gustine and and Reverend Jose Humphreys is that we could either set ourselves up as the center of the community. Mm-hmm. Or we could set ourselves up as part of the ecosystem of what God is doing in the community. And the idea that what Jerry Falwell did was he got a church, he put a thing on a map in the middle, and then drew a circle and said, every single person needs to come to my church, and they need to be part of my congregation. And I'll, my success will be measured by my growth and our giving and my exposure. And so if he went to someone's house and said, would you like to come to church? They they say, we're already part of a church. He goes, would you like to come to my church? Mm-hmm. Right? And so the the idea that we are going to be bitter, bigger, better, faster, stronger for the sake of being the most dominant and engaged with community um, is something I think that is fundamentally against what Jesus set up. And the reason for that is like in John chapter 3, when the disciples, uh, John's disciples, uh, come back to him and say, there's this man named Jesus, he's preaching, and he's baptizing, and we, we, we need to make sure that he's right. And John sits, he knows his place. Like John the Baptist knows his place. He says, I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. I'm supposed to prepare the way. He doesn't then say, well, you know what? Let me kowtow to like all of the people in front of me that want me to be big and great and good and go do more. Like he doesn't set himself up that way um, because we are not in a in a spiritual foot race where we're competing against each other, trying to lead the most people to Jesus. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are pursuing him together alongside one another in this beautiful, in Jesus name, beloved community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen to that. And I think what we're talking about here is effectively a capitalist slash business mindset of a church, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what right. you were just describing with, with Jerry Falwell was the, the focus on growth and expansion um, as a measure of success really shifts focus away from obedience as the measure of success. <laughs> right. And specifically numbers growth and money growth and influence and influence. Yeah, growth. Yes. Right. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if anybody wants another resource around this, Simon, you know, we could put this in the show notes. Yep. Um, there's a podcast called Startup, um, and they actually follow a church plant. And so they get into like this new world of like church accelerators and grants and yeah. pastors coming and pitching their churches to people with money. Like <laughs> if we can imagine, like this is very far away from Paul 
and Timothy going to visit Priscilla and Aquila. Very far away from like the apostles going to visit Lydia and Phoebe. Like they're not going to get investors, <laughs> right? Like the, we, we have moved very far away from Acts and stepped into something blessed by like the the economic structures that we find ourselves in. And I, I would just, yeah, can we get away from that? So there's there's like church planter Shark Tank? Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> so there's a pastor, like he talked about his nervousness. He talks about how am I going to please these people so that I receive these resources? Like yeah. it is, it's, it's not surprising and it is profoundly disappointing. Yeah. The choices yeah. that they make, the compromises that they make to get money. And I, I've talked to many pastors about that reality of like, I need to make sure that I'm getting enough money from these people. Um, and that I think is something um, that I just I cannot imagine, and there isn't scriptural evidence of Jesus ever doing. Yeah, which is not, by the way, to dismiss the realities that like uh, pastors got to eat. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. Like I, I, I am also on. I'm not a pastor, but I'm also out in varsity and understand the the fundraising, the ministry partner development, like all of those things. And I think. It is incumbent upon every Christian leader to be willing to take up the cross and follow Jesus. Like, if there is someone who wants me to say, you know what, maybe white supremacy isn't so bad, let's stick to the gospel, just for that check, then I think we know who the idol is in the room. (laughs) Like, I can't, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I I actually have to believe that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are true to do my job effectively and to follow Jesus effectively. And since I'm a professional Christian on Sabbath University, they happen to be the same thing in this in this yeah. age and stage of life. And when you say Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you basically mean the Sermon on the Mount. I do mean the Sermon on the Mount and his promise to provide for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so some of the like kind of downstream problems you're facing here that, that this pastor and a lot of pastors are facing of everything we just said is, you know, if you're if you're trying to grow, then what what are you going to say about politics? You're going to say as little as possible about politics, <laughs> and you're going to say things that don't rock the boat with your congregation. Mm-hmm. And if there are political divisions in your congregation, that's going to cause a ton of anxiety because that's not like an opportunity for for community or growth or to teach people things that are good and true. That is a threat to your funding, right? Right. Because mm-hmm. you're you, you don't know if people are going to leave. You don't want to take sides because people probably will leave if you do. But at the same time, there's now there are so many people who want you to take one side or the other that they might also leave if you don't say anything. And so mm-hmm. it's just nothing but stress. Right. Whereas it, you know, if, if, if you have set up your funding in some way where the people who are funding you are, like you said, Jonathan, looking for you to take up the cross, um, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be able to help people work through those things and speak truth. Um, you have to be pretty emotionally healthy in order to do that. And another thing that we do um, is is make people kind of push down all their questions and feelings <laughs> in favor of conformity for the same reasons, because conformity also creates, um, you know, growth and consistent loyal members and that sort of thing. Yes, it does. But yeah, right. But um, <laughs> th- these are all kind of the, these pitfalls that we have to deal with. Also, when you're when you're worried about church divisions like that, it becomes really easy to blame your congregation for problems like mm. that they are the most immediate people in front of you. So if there's somebody there trying to to get 
rid of you. This this pastor is asking, I'm I'm putting a lot of work into this, and if I'm just going to get these people harassing me back, then what's what's the point of all this? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, that's hard <laughs> if you're trying right. to serve people and they're actively rejecting. That's very difficult. Um, but also the the focus on blaming them instead of just like trying to continue to be faithful. That's like the, that's the line that we're talking. That's the difference that I think um, we're dealing with here. Yeah. And to, and to press into it a little bit more, I think when, when we are set up, like if we just juxtapose, like play side by side, life, liberty, and the pursuit of property slash happiness, depending on how far you want to go back in the historical stuff, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness slash property, and then a fake spiritual meritocracy that we find ourselves in. This dude was set up by his seminary, by his family, by our society to think that if I do all of these right things, people will follow me. I'll have a large platform. I'll be a successful pastor and I'll retire with all the experiences and wealth that I need to go to Jesus empty handed. But on this side of heaven, I did really well. And I think that is a lie. Like there's nothing gospel centered about doing exactly what we're supposed to do and receiving the just and right treatment for it. As Sai said earlier, Jesus was blameless and they killed him. Like the apostles loved their neighbors, fed the marginalized and sat with the vulnerable and they crucified them. They quartered them. They destroyed them. They threw them into lions, like to dens of lions. Like we're talking, like this is what happened to those people. And so to have a faith and then faith leaders that believe the fruits of their work will be financial success and job security is antithetical to the entire New Testament. Mm. And that, that, yeah, but that's a hard reality because our structures are set up to to support what he's talking about. Not just our church structures, but our whole society yeah. structures. Here's here's another uh, pitfall that creates these problems: privilege. <laughs> <laughs> just in general privilege makes things hard and i like i said that is a bit of a joke but this is it's real like it, it it's not just because when you're someone who has privilege in a society like suffering in general is just harder for you because you haven't done as much suffering but a white male pastor in a suburban church has not had to think as deeply or as personally about the issues dividing the US because they aren't things that have affected him personally you know what i mean like you just think about it. it is a reality like it would be nice if this wasn't the reality but you think about things more when they affect you right, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, so just if you have you know thing yeah it's just a true thing like you, you if you, this guy is not going to have thought about police brutality as much as you jonathan right this guy is not going to have thought as much about ableism as i have like that's mm-hmm. it it just is what it is and so then when when you're when those things kind of flare up in society and your church wants to talk about them, you just, you have less to say because you haven't thought as much and you end up saying ignorant things um, or nothing at all. Right. Right. And and I think side that is where like something that you've been a gift to me is that like the freedom to ask the questions and to not know. Right. And so, um, this pastor, many pastors, and, you know, we will throw in like the, the Christian industrial complex into this box is that we are supposed to have every single spiritual goodie that a person would need. 
And we're going to provide that in at exceptional levels. And if I don't have it, I'm just going to go figure it out. And like, I, I've used this example before, but like Tim Keller, when he was invited to speak about climate change at a mess, I had this message on CD. I bought it when I, when I was at Columbia on a like, compact disc on a, Oh yes. That's a compact disc friends for our, our young listeners out there. <laughs> it, you, you put it inside of a player, it spins and it's red and plays music <laughs> um, similar to a record. Uh, <laughs> so all of that to say, like he literally said in the beginning of the message, I got invited to do this and I just started thinking and I was like, yeah, like every, like pastors who are asked to talk about intimate partner violence, pastors who are asked to talk about like climate change, pastors that are set up to talk about insurance fraud and like the, the, like the unjust healthcare system that we have, like that should not be a question necessarily that they are asked unless like Sai was saying, they've got some personal experience. They have some education. They have a background. Like we can actually lean on one another in the body of Christ to pursue his kingdom together, as opposed to assuming that the person in the pulpit is an expert in all things human. Mm. We basically see them as like a superhuman. Like you have to know, you have to be an expert in everything. And this also gets to our view of scripture (laughs) because it's kind of based on the fact that you're an expert in the Bible and the Bible is supposed to teach us everything. Right. Like about every subject. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that kind of, this is a comprehensive, you don't need anything other than this basically to navigate the world. And in some ways that could, that could be true if you're in a real desperate situation, but also if you want to learn about climate change, um, there are lots of people who have studied it uh, very mm-hmm. extensively yes. <laughs> and you don't, you know what I mean? And again, not to knock Tim Keller, he said a lot of great things over the course of his life, but um you don't need to ask Tim Kelly about climate change. <laughs> right, right. And and I think something – okay, this is not in our notes, but I have a thought. The things that most stress this man out about being a pastor are the things that pastors are most expected to do. Yeah. And that is to be present with people who are suffering and to be available to those who need – the ministry of presence, someone to pray with them, to sit with them, to be with them. And that I think is one of the most uh, powerless feelings is when we can't actually help someone overcome the problem that they have. Mm-hmm. We can't actually have help someone like be healed or g- have their marriage come back together or liberate them from addiction or raise them from the dead. Like we can't, like that's, that's not there, but like we can, but we can be with them. And um, I think if he had not embraced and we had not embraced this reality of a pastor being Jesus, as opposed to a pastor that would pursue Jesus, then it would, I think it would be a fundamentally different experience for him and his congregation, where the chief reality and the chief pursuit is a ministry of presence, as opposed to being a spiritual expert, uh, a subject matter expert and a spiritual superhero for all people. Yeah. Being Jesus is a really good way to put it actually, because that is kind of what we expect from a lot of pastors, which is, you know, present omniscient, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That is kind of what you're describing. Yeah. But, but I think it's, it's also just the fact that, um, 
and again, this is very tied up in like conformity and like right behavior and right thought, which is something that we police a ton in, in colonized faith. You have to be perfect as a pastor because you are the person up there trying to demonstrate for the community what it is to be a Christian and what it is to be a Christian in a lot of people's view is to behave correctly and to right. be morally blameless. Right? I mean, right. he said that it's, I was, I was supposed to be like that. blameless and a p- pillar of virtue and like you should be preaching against that idea. Like, you know, right. anyways, I, I, so yeah, saying that the pastor needs to be Jesus instead of help you follow Jesus, I think is, or help you be present with Jesus is, is a good way to put it. Yeah. And to ground what we're taught, we, where it says that, uh, Paul describes himself, you know, in Romans seven, I don't do what I want to do. I want to do what I don't do. Right. Somebody deliver me from this body of death. He's confessing his limitations. Mm-hmm. He's confessing that he cannot transform himself. The The image from Romans 7 is that that when you murdered someone, you would have the body strapped to you and have to carry it around. As a punishment. As I'm sorry, yes, as a punishment. Mm-hmm. And so what Paul said is like, someone deliver me from this body of death. Like he is saying, I am preaching and broken. I am standing before you as the chief of sinners, yet somehow God has entrusted me to to testify to this blameless, wonderful God slash man named Jesus. And so like, if we were able to do that, I think it would be transformative for congregants. Um, one, to be able to liberate pastors from, well, you know, we talked about this a lot with when Michelle Higgins said like, you know, liberate white people from the burden of supremacy, like colonize faith leads us to think that we have to somehow sit atop a race-based, class-based, gender-based environmental hierarchy. And we need to pursue that ideal. When in reality, like we're all, we are all racing to get to the foot of the cross, to be on our knees, confess that we are limited and we are not God and we need him and one another to actually live this life that of abundance that he has, he has promised us in him. Yeah. So the next thing in our little outline here was was the ways that we can do things differently. And I think you just started us on on that point by taking us straight to Jesus. That's good. Um, <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about Paul is, right, like nobody had any real questions about what his sins were because he was like actively kind of terrorizing the church for a long time, right? right. He was um, – people have described him as like a literal terrorist. <laughs> yes. Um, he was going around <laughs> killing people. Like that's what he was doing or or overseeing them being killed. And, I, you know, when we have a lot of a lot of pastors today, uh, I, what I'm about to say is a little bit subtle but or a little bit um, – you have to be careful with it. But a lot of times when, we, when you see a pastor give a confession today, it's a confession of a sin that isn't a lot serious <laughs> or it's a confession of a sin that they struggled with in the past and now everything's fine and they don't do it anymore. And it's like, it, it's a lot of times it's still sort of hedged. It's still designed to make you feel okay with the fact that now this is like a blameless, pretty, pretty blameless person. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're doing all right. And um, what I'm suggesting is hard, but like you do need pastors who can say, that they are actually sinners and mean it. Like they actually have real problems. Yeah. I think setting up and, and I think this trickles down like to Christians in general, like we can only talk about a sin that we've overcome and are totally fine from. We can, we can only, we can only 
communicate a struggle so long as we communicate how hard we're fighting against it and like all of the tools that are coming along with it. When like in reality, it's like for me, you know, I struggle every day with the amount of money that I spend and look at the gospel. That's an active struggle that I'm wrestling with. I don't know how to reconcile mortgages and retirement and caring for my family and paying for things with the generosity that I see in scripture. And that is something that I feel could disqualify me as a person following Jesus. But I am not disqualified to point other people to Jesus because I have not figured it all out. Yeah. Because it's not, I'm not perfect in some way. Like I'm qualified to tell people about Jesus because I've decided to follow Jesus. I just need to tell people why I decided to do that, which is what the disciples are doing. Like Simon the Zealot was an angry, murderous person. And Matthew stole lots of money from people. (laughs) Like I cannot imagine like the, them sitting with Jesus. And I think the only reason they felt they could be there is because Jesus was willing to be with them. Yeah. And followers of Jesus, if we were able to realize that like Jesus wants to sit with us and lead people to that, then I think pastors could actually be present with us as opposed to um, being people who we think are supposed to be, we expect them um, to liberate us. And, and that, that's just, that's just not their responsibility. Yeah. Um, I think you, in addition to all that, totally agree. You have to just stop expecting people to be more than human, which is obviously that's yeah. the opposite of the problem that we said earlier. But there, there are specific ways that you do that. And I think um, one of them is making sure that you are never kind of broadcasting the lie to your congregation that being a Christian makes you a better person or a more moral mm-hmm. person um, than others. It, it, it will transform you as an individual. But the idea that like any given Christian is just better than everybody else, that mm-hmm. is implicit in so many messages you hear in church. Um, and that's constantly talking, like especially evangelicals, I feel like are constantly talking about um, how many, how, how much your life will be better than other people's, um, mm-hmm. how you can't even think of how you could be a good or happy person without Jesus, um, which is wild, right? There, everybody around the world, <laughs> mm-hmm. has, has found ways to feel happy and fulfilled and be be like kind to each other you know regardless of whether they knew jesus or not that's not like a i don't know that doesn't like lower the status of christianity it's just a, <laughs> right, right kind of right, like right. an observed fact about the world um, <laughs> um you actually you know what you and i jonathan one time i will be very vague on details here okay. were uh at a funeral where the pastor was speaking to a crowd that was definitely not just Christians and like actively saying to this crowd, I don't know how you can grieve and move on with your life when someone dies, if you don't believe in heaven, like, I don't know how you can go on. Yeah. And that's why you need Jesus. And he got some amens. (laughs) It was the only place in the whole eulogy where he got some amens. And Mm. I was just like, man, that is a wild thing to say to people while they are grieving. Because, A, it's untrue. Every Again, every culture that's ever existed has figured out a way to grieve and move on. And mm-hmm. to say to, I don't know, to say that to people, like, at a funeral is just, we are so stuck 
in this in this kind of Christian supremacy. Everything's going to be better if you're us. Yes, Christian supremacy, and like if we are to maintain Christian supremacy, then you're actually in competition with other people. Yeah, and I think um, like someone asked, I got a phone call once uh, from you know a very concerned dad about his daughter participating in one of our programs. And he said, I just, I'm just concerned because I want to make sure you are a soul winner for the Lord. And I said, uh, yes, I do desire for people to follow Jesus. Um, and I think it's problematic when we are trying to win. <laughs> like I, we, like I am, I am not in competition with other people. I'm not in competition with others, faith leaders. I'm not trying to, tear someone down. And this goes back to, um, in act, there's a passage in Acts where, uh, the, like many followers are saying, are you for Paul? Are you for Apollos? Are you for Apollo? Are you, are you for Peter? And like the, the competition, like the competitive nature and the, the attraction of like, my leader is better. My spiritual person is better. My spiritual bag of of goods is like better than your spiritual bag goes. So come and take mine. So our group can get bigger. Like that is just, it's just not a thing in the kingdom of God. Mm. And I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a radical thing that Jesus does when he says, come and follow me. And someone says, you know, I, I just got, I just bought this field and I got to go look at it. And he's like, okay. He doesn't try to <laughs> woo them. He doesn't try to win them back. He says, okay. In uh, are there something in us that must be secure enough to let people be, mm. and and I think pastors, particularly for we who are like we're set up to like be the end all be all, like we got to get them there, and we got to make sure they stay there, and sit in their money, sit in the pews, and give money, and come to small group, and come to men's group, and come to Bible study, and come to you know list out the spiritual infrastructures that we have, like we we could allow people to to walk with God as though he is pursuing them mm. as though he is creating spaces to to meet with them and so I'm like yeah so everything you said Sai like we can we can walk out of that supremacy into humanity and point to Jesus in ways that are transformative and helpful and what you said uh off mic about Dr. Lamar Hardwick and the the invitation to being human yeah, uh, if you could repeat that. Yeah, I think all of this is tied up with the fear of being human, which is what we talked about, or one of the things we talked about with Dr. Hardwick when he was on this show a couple of years ago that we keep coming back to. Just the fear that we have of our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses. And um, instead of you know embracing those things as a part of being who we are. And um, uh, that plays into this because it, it's it's wrapped up in this need to be superhuman, right? And this need to be a perfect pillar of virtue. And um, if if we can let go of those things, then that pressure to be perfect will um, disappear. So you don't have to be superhuman. You don't have to be better than people who are non-Christians. You don't have to be better than your congregation. You don't have to be any of that as a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to be faithful to the best of your ability. And people are going to accept that about you or they're not. And if they don't, then you might have to find a new job, <laughs> but, but you will have been faithful. Right. You will have been faithful. And this is not part of our podcast, but please pray for Dr. Hardwick. Um, he is still yeah. suffering with cancer, has, trans has recently transitioned from 
uh, pastoring full time to to focus on uh, treatment and and living. And um, I I think as you were saying, so like he has exemplified for me what it looks like to be human in front of your pa- of your congregation. Oh, absolutely. We we talked about this in the newsletter recently one time because there was this clip that he sent around of he he had to have man I can't remember what the procedure is called, but basically because of the uh, colorectal cancer he's had, he now has to have a, a colostomy bag for the rest of his life. And he was just openly talking to his congregation about this and being yeah. like, listen, I know it's fun. It's going to make funny sounds. You can laugh. It's okay. His name is Oscar. <laughs> right. <laughs> just kind of, just kind of like someone who is, is utterly unashamed of who they are and what's going on in their life is, exactly. I don't know. It's, it's a really, he's a really good example of that. And please do pray for him. Okay, so here's another one that uh, uh, that I think is a good like tip for congregants to help out your yes, pastor. Yes. Be friends with your pastor, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just like regular friends. Not like meaning don't always go to them for spiritual help. Don't always go to them for uh, for for prayer or for comfort when things are hard. Just hang out with them sometimes. And this is mm-hmm. uh, this is the first person who told me to do this was my dad a long time ago. Who's like done this a couple mm-hmm. times with pastors they've asked they've come to him and said hey would you be on like x y and z committee or would you volunteer in this way and he did those things eventually but like when he was first at a church he would say no do you want to hang out though <laughs> and mm-hmm. like that was it's just a, it's extremely he's had it like at least one pastor maybe more like note that to him is like something that's really helpful because the job is so lonely and isolating and people are always just coming to you for stuff they're taking and consuming mm. from you and you need ways to be replenished and pastors have to find those ways on the, on their own sometimes, but uh, we can help. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that I, I well, I, I have two more that I think are a big deal. Uh, <laughs> learn some emotional health, please. No, I, I think, I think you need to read what you were. You said, learn you some emotional health. That's a great phrase. <laughs> Yes, in our in our outline that we're both looking at, I wrote "learn you some emotional health <laughs> and some healthy conflict resolution skills." Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's 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 hard work, and it's not something that any seminary is going to ask you to do, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is so necessary to be able to identify the stressors like when they start and not when they just explode uh, mm-hmm. all over you and the people around you. <laughs> um, yeah. No, you're, you're, you're trying to, this is your bag. What do you have to say about this? About this? No worries. I just, I just want to say, that, um, I'm like leaning on the mic. Right? Um, like, I think every follower of Jesus needs to take serious responsibility over their own spiritual growth and emotional growth and health and well-being. Um, my mama would say that every tub has to stand on its own bottom. <laughs> and the reality is like, there is no one that can attune your heart to God more than you. We we have to actually be discipled um, by people. That's absolutely true. And no one can turn our hearts to God but us. And so before we meet with our pastors, pray. 
discern, sit with the spirit, go to scriptures, go to communion, like ask, ask what God is doing so that when we show up to these conversations, we're actually full to have conversations, not on empty, just waiting to be filled by the spiritual gas station who's sitting in front of us. Mm. Like just because pastors and leaders and the spiritual infrastructure that we have has turned us into things that produce money and funding and numbers does not mean we then need to turn every spiritual leader into the store that they claim to be and say, we just need to fill ourselves up. Like we can actually break that terrible economy um, of like spiritual goods that get, get passed back and forth where we just reduce each other to what we need each other for. That's very utilitarian, which if you want to look at Jesus again, his disciples were not the most useful. Like, let's be clear about these men. Uh, and so <laughs> just we, we can take responsibility for our, our own spiritual, emotional health, awareness, growth, and intelligence. And I think that would be um, just a gift to each other as a body of believers and definitely to, to pastors um, as they try to do a very hard job of being present to us in ways that are transformative and helpful. Jonathan, spiritual gas station is a very good metaphor. And that's let's that's what let's everybody that's why you go and get a creative writing degree in college. This is to say, yes, that's true. This is Um, where it comes into play. (laughs) Here's my last one, and this is not going to surprise you if you listen to this show center and elevate marginalized voices (laughs) as a pastor because it's actually going to help you. Uh, as as we said before, like privilege makes suffering harder to handle and it gives you less perspective and doing the opposite of that, listening to people's meaning this could be like in your media consumption or in your friendships or whatever. But I'm also saying in your church, like it, it will it will just help you because you're going to have people who have dealt with more day-to-day difficulties than you have. And I think, by the way, I think this is a little bit counterintuitive for some white people because white people are so used to being told that we're the logical detached ones and everybody else is so emotional and can't deal with like we, we, the thing that we think about all the time is like when racial tensions flare up. Right. So it's like, okay, something happens about, you know, police brutality or something and, you know, we're very dispassionate and removed from it because it doesn't affect us. And mm-hmm. black people are very emotional and upset about it because it affects them very d- directly and very deeply. And I think a lot of white people, like those are some of their primary interactions with people of other races. And you just come away from that thinking, I, you know, we, we are more logical and whatever. And right. like suffering must be harder for them or, you know, and mm-hmm. I it it's it's like when it comes to the everyday stuff if you're actually integrated in in communities of you know where you really do have like regular ongoing interactions with friends or family members who are from other uh marginalized who are from marginalized communities you you will find that it is quite the opposite that the <laughs> that yeah. you are much less skilled at dealing with um suffering and emotional stress and difficulty than uh your marginalized peers mm mm-hmm. One more side note on this, by the way. Uh, the pastor who wrote this article is from the PCUSA and has fairly progressive theology and I assume, therefore, also politics, but I don't know that as politics. Um, so another note for white people, having pro- you can't progressive theology or progressive politics your way out of being white. 
<laughs> you have to dig down deep and deal with, as we talk about colonized faith, um, yep. or you're you're going to end up, um, you know, I, I there would be no difference in how I would talk about, well, not no difference. There'd be very little relevant difference in how I talk to talk about, you know, this person's um, complaints as a mainline white yeah. Protestant versus a conservative evangelical. Absolutely. The differences would be subtle, not substantive. Like, right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, subtle, not substantive. That's why you're a professional writer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything else before we wrap up, Jonathan? No, just Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I, I had a conversation on basketball court on Wednesday uh, with a kid. And he said, you know, he'd been kind of living his life. And he said he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He said he doesn't know. He can't interpret it all. He's even uncomfortable with like religion and institutions and all those things. He said, but I, I cannot deny the love and acceptance that I felt. Hmm. He said, I just can't, I can't, I can't deny that. And so now he's going to start coming to our church. Um, and he came to play basketball with us because he, his boss knew someone and told him to come. And I just think that like for all of our preaching and podcasting and writing and emailing and newsletters and books and products. <laughs> um, but I think, I think we would be, do well to remember that Jesus is still meeting people as they lay down to go to sleep, as they drive, as they pump gas, as as they sit in church pews or sit outside clinics or at hospital, like he is still pursuing and and lavishing us with his presence. And so um we could we could liberate or be liberated from from that burden because Jesus is still, he's still moving. Amen. I, that's a great place to end us, I think. Everybody, thanks for joining us so much today. Um, please remember to go to ktfpress.com. Check out the new look of the website and the social media. Consider becoming a subscriber. Get yourself our weekly newsletter. Get the bonus episodes of this show. If you like this episode, a lot of our bonus episodes are kind of like this. Just me and Jonathan talking. Remember to send us your questions for our mailbag episode. Uh, go to or send your 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 text questions or your voicemails to shake the dust at ktfpress.com. That's shake the dust at ktfpress.com. Our theme song, as always, is Citizens by John Guerra. Our new podcast art is by Robin Burgess. And we will see you all for the season finale in two weeks. A lot of our bonus episodes are kind of like this. Just me and Jonathan talking. Um, oh, fire trucks. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry. I thought you were going to say that another F word. Oh, fire trucks. Oh, f- <laughs> <laughs>